Good evening, dandies. Welcome to Undetermined, the podcast. In the midnight hour, crimson flowers, whales that hang their heads. <sighs> Jiminy Christmas, guys. It's been how long? Uh, a couple of years, a minute, maybe? A minute? Yeah, it's been a while. It, it's close to, it's a, a, over a year and a half because it was like a, we got you in for like a Halloween episode, mm, yeah, and it was yeah. you know, it was a it was a hot pandemic minute too because it was right smack. I think we were in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, we were we were. This yeah, was we like in first because I remember yep. I, all of all of the projects that I was working on at the time. They were all basically responses to to twenty twenty. Oh yeah, you started making masks. Oh fuck, all of that. It was. The things we did, we like, we did backflips. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just really incredible, but you know what I, what I, the big takeaway when I look back on the whole experience in retrospect, <laughs> was that me or you guys, I need to put on my, hold on. Let me do a, do not disturb thing here. Oh, yes. uh, yeah, that's critical what are we we're gonna do do not disturb i freaking love but they're they're imprecise but you know it helps me Ah, in situations like this you know what i'm gonna do it for my phone everything talks to each other now so i i have to just let me just shameless i I don't ever really like to plug for Apple because, you know, they're like huge and right, you know, right. stupid to do that. But I have to say the new universal control uh-huh. feature is like the greatest thing on earth. I mean, yeah. in terms of my productivity and what I've got, because I mean, I'm, I'm running like three iPad pros, but one I don't use in the middle of my normal everyday work, but two I do with my MacBook pro and with universal control, I could, I, it's just seamlessly mouse and keyboard across all three. Yeah. And it wow, just, crazy. it's, yeah, it's, it's the greatest thing to happen since uh, some of their accessibility features. I think it's just really great. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, their oh. shit always works. You know, that's the thing. It's uh, com- yep. compared to like, you know, PC or Android or anything else. It's just like the only problem I've ever had with Apple products is the fact that um, their shit becomes outdated uh, at some point and you can't upgrade it anymore. But while right. it's like, you know, in the realm of, of accessibility, it, it works. It, it right, works every it, time. It actually lasts long enough that it gets outdated. And that's right. Mm-hmm. That's a bonus. There's also this incredibly fascinating um, marketing and sales aspect to it in terms of, um, you know, you know, there has to be math and science behind, you know, this little team of people who determine exactly how long it's going to take for people to want a new upgrade or a new, uh, you know, want some kind of a change to their Mm -hmm. firmware. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a science behind that. There has to be. And it's fascinating to me. You know, I think I first became fascinated with that um, when I uh, almost took my iPhone. I think at the time it was the iPhone 
5 or the iPhone 6 incarnation and mm-hmm. threw it into the ocean. Um, and, <laughs> and why? Raised my fist to the heavens because I had installed a, a, the latest firmware update. Uh, this would have been in 2014 mm-hmm. or something like that. I installed the latest firmware update and it virtually crippled my phone. And then I started reading mm. reports from the New York Times where I wasn't the only one, right? Right. That it crippled everybody. I mean, I my phone was basically useless. I turned it off and put it put it in a closet in a drawer. Is what mm. I did. And I, you know, used my iPad for and on Wi-Fi connections. I just I, I it was stupid. And I uh. was so incredibly angry about it. And I thought, you know, and then I started remembering all of the um, the history that we have about product manufacturing, especially with technology as it relates to functional obsolescence. Yeah. Built you know in obsolescence. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, where it is strategized from the beginning, how uh-huh. long things should last so that you can continue the marketing and sales initiative for any given iteration or version of a product. Sure, sure. And the firmware update is a perfect opportunity to cut that off. Yeah. Uh-huh. We see this in all products um, around and, and mostly in America because we're, we're built on this kind of um, this kind of strategy when it comes yep. to consumerism, marketing yep. product-based consumerism. Um, and I think the classic uh, textbook example of that is um, the Edison light bulb, the very first light bulb. Mm, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this story. So the um, very first light bulb that Edison invented and created, it's been going ever since he created it. And it's in the Smithsonian and it's still going, right? (laughs) The filaments filaments are still, it's still lighting. It's like it never needed to be replaced. The technology as it was invented was invented to last forever, right? Right. Um, But you can't sell forever, so um, right. that's where we uh, started having functional obsolescence creep in. And why are we talking about this right now? I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but that happens. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I was starting to think about how how I got my phone updated because, like, I'd kept my phone long enough that um, my carrier was like, yeah, um, we're going to all 5G and you're going to have to upgrade. So we're going to give you another phone because I was just like, nope, I'm good. Yep. <laughs> With my iPhone, I don't know, eight or nine that I had. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, yeah. I went from that to 13. So I clearly right, it lasts. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I really I've held out on those iPhones, you know, I'm kind of a holdout until I have to upgrade. But um, in terms of my ability to use them in uh, production, oh my God, the cameras just keep getting better and better. Yeah, they do. Yeah, entire movies have been shot in those things. I mean, I am able to take an entire production team. Uh, As a matter of fact, I do. And I have them use, well, I, my production team is right now, they're using Canon XF100s, uh-huh. you know, professional grade cam, uh, cameras for live production shoots for my video direction work. 
for live production. And they're using those, but I'm also having them satellite um, iPhones. And iPhones, mm-hmm. not just for uh, video, but also for audio, um, produces some of the best audio. I mean, well, you have to know how to hack the, the firmware to produce an uncompressed uh, audio uh, from the recording. I mean, a, a wave format, uncompressed. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, and, and you have to learn also how to bypass all of the internal compression and all of yeah, the, yeah. Um, the bullshit that is built in mm-hmm. um, by default. And, you know, there is one app that I know of that I have my team use that allows you to do that allows you to circumvent those built-in hardware uh, uh, compression default settings and everything else. And man, it it's some of the best audio I've been able to capture. I mean, without a condenser mic, you know, or, right, or, right. or something like that. And so I swear by it. I swear by the technology. Oh, it's just getting but better it, and better. Right. It, frust- it, it frustrates the the fuck out of me too, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a love hate relationship. I guess that's what it is. It is with all technology, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Please, <clears throat> nine dude, twelve. I did not. This is not <laughs> making me comfortable. I'm feeling very uh, uncomfortable right now. Uh, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> Have a drink. Have a drink. Oh, well, I'm on my second martini. So, okay. Well, let's know. Oh, oh, and I have to thank you guys for that. Uh-huh. I yeah, because I you know I've had a lot going on in my life. I had a major move across country. I've had yeah, uh, you yeah, know, I've yeah. taken on as of a few weeks ago an eighth job. Um, I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just shoot me. But I'm you know I'm very fortunate uh, to to be able to be working in um, all of the areas that I. I'm passionate about. You got married, didn't you? I am engaged. Uh, the marriage. Oh, okay, I'm engaged. That's yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting because my fiance is Brazilian, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so the the entire family on on that side is in Brazil. Mm. It's a little tough, to, and it's a much bigger family than mine. Right? You can count mm. my family on one hand. Right. And. With Iran, there is, uh, yeah, their aunts, their uncles, their cousins, their mothers, their sisters. It's 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 a bigger bigger deal, and mm-hmm. it, the more I started realizing culturally, that de- I was thinking, ah, oh, we'll just get married on the freaking beach, you know, where we train for football right. and mm-hmm. you know, and our backyard here in uh, beautiful Deerfield Beach. Oh my God, it's like paradise. I, I've been here for a, a little over a year, uh, a year and a half, and it's just—I I mean, I, I was in the—I'm in the water every morning, I'm in the ocean mm. every single morning, and wow, oh, God, that sounds so great. The, the past couple of mornings, it's been incredible. The ocean uh, for the past two days. What I love about it is is its diversity. It can change right on a dime. Yeah. And it, it's, mm-hmm. I, I go to the same place every morning, but it's a different in, a different vibe, a different env- environment because mm. of the, the weather, the tides yeah. are higher, the waves are bigger or they're not. The past few days, it's been like a lake 
not one and this is the Atlantic. Mm. This is the hardcore Atlantic. Not yeah. one ripple and crystal clear as far as you can go, as far mm. as, as deep as you can go. And I can see the color of all of the tropical fish that swim around oh, my, feet wow. my legs. It's just paradise, man. And you know, my happy hour joint is here. All of my I've and it's because it's a destination spot, all of my friends end up coming to visit me now. <laughs> <laughs> I, nice. I hope I count you two among them. Um, oh, if you want to get away great. because it is, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty sweet. The cost of living is half of what it was in Southern California. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. We, we were just, you know, I guess I probably shouldn't advertise this too much because, <laughs> right. you know, we, we kind of want to keep it the best kept secret, but um, I think the Washington Post uh, just rated uh, where I live in Deerfield Beach as being the least expensive average housing market for a beach city for beach housing Uh um, in the country. And it just happens to be one of the country's most pristine and beautiful and desirable beach uh, cities to live in. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, so I've got some friends who are actually looking at, at moving across country and buying here now and making that kind of same crazy, crazy change. I mean, I, yeah. it was a leap of faith. I, I, I moved here for love. Um, and it was a crazy move because I had no job guarantees other than the company I had just started and my clients that were on the West coast and my performance opportunities, which were all mostly on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I did not, there was no guarantee that I was going to have that here. And, you know, it ended up being, in retrospect, a foolish fear and a needless fear. And simply because not only have I retained all of my professional network on the West Coast, but I'm still actively working projects with them. The only difference is I don't have to drive in freaking LA traffic to get yeah. to all yeah. of my, all of my venues or all of my clients. They're just flying me out now and it's a five hour flight. So it, it's, you know, it, it was a great change for me. In, Good. In ways. So I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, congratulations for sure on all of that. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And what prompted us getting back together too was your uh well i don't know if it's your latest project I, how can you even say that when you've got so many going on yeah. ladies and gentlemen by the way uh 14 minutes in we're talking to <laughs> <laughs> our friend aaron our friend aaron aaron ball howdy welcome aaron of course uh, we talked about this last time you were on that your uh first performance on screen on the on the silver screen was as a toddler playing baby ford in the legend of boggy creek one of my favorite uh cult films uh, of all time yeah so happy to hear that yeah and it was amazing when matt told me hey i know a guy who was like a family who was all involved in that and yep. Uh, he was in that movie and it was like, no fucking way. And uh, I was like, well, we need to get him on. Yeah. But most recently, a new book has come out talking about the the folk monster, Folk Arkansas. Well, yes. So actually, this is The Beast of Boggy Creek. So it's actually written by Lyle Blackburn. Mm-hmm. He's one of my blood brothers. Ah. 
the first time we met each other was for the premiere, the re-premiere of the restored version of the film, Mm -hmm. which was in 2019, June of 2019, at the Perot Theater. The same theater used to be an old Paramount theater uh, in the silent film days. One of those gigantic movie palaces that is, you know, gives you chills every time you walk in it because it's so gorgeous. Yeah. So the first time I had stepped foot in that theater in 45 years, right? So we had the re-premiere there, met Lyle because Lyle, he is the go-to, the one person in all of the world who is the cataloger and the record keeper for all of the sightings of not only this particular creature, and it it's not just a creature, right? I mean, it's mm. creatures. Right. Obviously, you can't expect longevity over 100 years for pretty much anything that is a mammal. Right. Procreation, which requires at least two. Exactly. Right. And, and consequently, the, the, the reports corroborate that. There are varying sizes. So anyway, he's the go-to for build. He has the, the principal database that is the official database for all of these sightings and most other cryptids. Yes. What's interesting about this idea of cryptid, uh, a cryptid is kind of the, it's a pseudoscientific designation, mm-hmm. if you will, for any unconfirmed documented species. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really interesting about it is there have been cryptids, and this is cryptozoology has actually been a studied science for a long time. Oh, well, yes. Um, yeah. You know, in this country, and there have been creatures based on the hard work and research of these cryptozoologists that have eventually become known and confirmed by actual science. So for example, the black Panther has, Mm -hmm. we now know is uh, something that's a real thing. The giant land tortoise used to be a cryptid, Uh but now we know that it's a real creature right the lowland gorilla eventually the evidence mm-hmm. has come exactly the lowland gorilla mm-hmm. so it's really cool work uh that they do but uh it's also you know you have to in talking with my brother lyle i saved my brother he's my you know he's not my real brother he's my my blood brother but right. in talking with him just getting to know him personally i totally understand his it's crazy because he gets lumped in with all of the crazies. Yeah. People who want to invent stories for their sensationalist value. Right. Or because they want to make some money. If I could interject real quick, a lot of people may think that they don't know who Lyle Blackburn is. Lyle's done a bunch of television. Um, if you're interested in like a, a cryptid, mm-hmm. you know, shows or, or anything like that, leather cowboy hat guy with the beard. Yeah, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the first time we met, I had a, a straw cowboy hat. First mm-hmm. time we met, we have identical skull rings. Oh, right on! That we mm-hmm. wear every day. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, we, 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 we're, I mean, when I say we're brothers, I mean, if if anybody were to play me in a movie, I would want that to be Lyle. And Lyle's like, mm-hmm. if anybody's going to play me in a movie, it needs to be you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of like that. But he's, yeah, Animal Planet, 
uh, Discovery Channel. Oh, Discovery, yeah, all over the place. Yeah, Finding Bigfoot was a big show. Uh, Monster Quest was a big uh-huh. show. Yep, that, yep. that was mm-hmm. uh, you know he's he's if you Google Monster Hunter, uh, yeah, in North America, you're probably gonna find Lyle Black. You're gonna see Lyle. He's gonna yeah. be in the, he's gonna be in the top results. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should invite him on too. Absolutely. Oh, I I hope you do. You should. He's got a new book that's coming out. I, I don't know if I can talk about it. I probably can't and shouldn't, but it's right up your alley in terms mm-hmm. of the things we've been talking about. And it has mm-hmm. to do with Texarkana mm-hmm. and okay. the 1940s. So you yeah. know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I think again, we'll, we'll leave it there, but yeah, mm-hmm. you, you need to, you need to reach out to Lyle. I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. Cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That'll yeah. be fun. So the book actually, the Beast of Boggy Creek was actually a print released by Anomalist Publishing, uh, their uh, publishing company out of um, Austin, Texas, I believe. Uh-huh. And they published, I think that book was uh, distributed and released in 2012. Might have been 2012. So the book's been out for a while. Okay. But this is the first audio book version of his book and we know who did the audio yeah yeah the narrator for it well you know and and it was it was kind of a a kismet situation Uh i had just and i think the last time all of us talked uh you know a couple of years ago a year and a half ago i had mentioned that i had just built my recording studio and i had just you know i was wanting to move into audiobook production and narration Uh you know i spent about like a year learning the tools of the trade learning the industry learning who the people were etc etc the publishers and how to get on, you know, the, the Amazon system and all of that mm-hmm. and went to visit. Well, it was actually, I, I went to Dallas. Uh, this would have been in, oh golly, maybe 20. I can't even remember it all. You know, pandemic screw you. Oh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it was around, uh, it was after the premiere, oh. uh, in 2019. So it had to have been in 2020, Nah, that's it was had to have been before. Oh, it was, it was, it would have been right before the pandemic. So it would have been before March of 2020, like probably January, February. <clears throat> and I went to Dallas for a screening at the Texas Theater of the Legend of the, of the you know, restored the version. Remap. Yeah, restored the, four, the, the 4K version of the Legend of Boggy Creek to sit on a QA panel. Mm-hmm. And also just represent, right? And for you, for the the listeners out there who aren't familiar with the Texas Theater, it's in a district of Dallas called the Cliff Oaks District, and it's the theater where John Wilkes Booth was uh, arrested. Oh, huh. huh? Interesting. No, it shot Kennedy. Who shot Kennedy? Uh, Hartley Harvey. You're talking about Oswald. Lee Lee Harvey Oswald. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm going back to fucking Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) I was like, wow, really? He got that far. (laughs) I'm on my second martini, guys. Okay. But Oswald was arrested in that theater because basically how that happened, he was pursued and he hid out in the theater. I would love to. I I don't remember the, the movie that was playing. It was in the middle of a movie. Huh. And he sat down in a seat to try and evade the 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 search. Yeah. 
blend in. And right? then they came in and they apprehended him in that theater, mm. in the Texas theater. So there's actually a brass plate on the seat. Oh, wow. In that theater when he was arrested, huh. which is crazy. So there's a little bit of history there, but I went there and in Dallas, it was a really good opportunity to talk with Lyle about like, wow, you know, while I'm getting into this audiobook thing, uh-huh. I, you know, I don't, and you've actually published a couple of books by now. And he was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I, that's pretty Pretty cool. I had not put that together. Yeah. And my publisher, as a matter of fact, this is Lyle talking, has been trying, has been getting on to me for trying to find a narrator to do an audiobook for. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it wasn't up to Lyle. It's actually up to his publishers. Huh. So I had to submit an audition and a sample of, uh, you know, from the book because, I mean, Lyle. You know, as the author, of course, he has some weight and clout, but right. really the publishers are the, they're the decision makers. Right. And so it really was uh, boiled down to having publishers that believed in me, having, first of all, having one of my very, very best friends, Lyle Blackburn, believe in me, <clears throat> having his publishers believe in me. And then there was a third round of having to court the audiobook publisher, uh-huh. uh, Be- Beacon Audiobooks. They are the world's, as I know it, I think they are the world's largest publisher of audiobooks. Wow. Yeah, they uh, have 600 uh, narrator producers at any given time producing and narrating in all of the world's languages. <clears throat> They're out of New York. So then it became this, you know, how do I get in the door with Beacon? Yeah. And Lyle really helped usher me in uh, with Beacon to, to, to get this project done. And, you know, I think the, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I'm good at what I do. I know that. Mm. And I, I, and I wouldn't be pursuing this as a freelance career path if I didn't have a passion for it. Right. Right. And, and, and if I didn't want to continue to improve and learn and grow and, you know, I'm putting in a lot of effort to do it. That said, it's wonderful to know that Lyle had my back. You know, he, he goes up to Beacon and he, Beacon doesn't really accept any untried, unpublished you know, I mean, it's right, right. We're all mm-hmm. SAG after a union work, mm-hmm. even though that's weird, right? I mean, it's right. SAG after you think it's screen television, but that is the union that covers uh, audiobook narrators. And so it's all of those hurdles. And uh, Lyle really pushed for me. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was also about marketing. Yeah. How cool and how much better is it to be able to market your book Mm. when it's narrated by one of the dudes who lived your book? Right. Right. Well, and I was going to ask you about that too. It's like, okay, so your father produces the film. Uh, No, my father, actually, my father was the production designer Mm -hmm. and art director for the film. It was his boss. then, Right. He worked with Charlie. They were the two guys who basically brought the film into life. Right. Right. Who conceived it and made it happen. 
So this is an integral part of your life. This is something, you know, I mean, since you're a toddler, I mean, it's something, you know, probably know the story inside now, but as you're, you know, recording the audio book, as you're going through this and reading the book prior and everything, was there anything like, holy shit, I didn't know that or anything that really stood out to you? I'd forgotten all about that. Right. Or I'd forgotten all about that. Or Both, both, every other page, Mm. things I didn't know and things I had forgotten, but on both, both sides of the the coin, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did not know, for example, that there are actual skeletal remains and on of what by all accounts matches exactly what people have been reporting since 19. Well, actually you can go even back further. The reports go back, I think in Lyle's database uh-huh. through published articles in local newspapers in the region to the 1850s. Wow. Hmm. I mean, that's what makes this so compelling mm-hmm. is that, these reports are what Lyle looks for. And Lyle could tell you better than I can. I can't speak for Lyle and his mm-hmm. expertise. He's an expert in what he does. Yes. And I'm just on the sidelines. But the things I did not know were that these sightings have been going back to the, you know, the mid 19th century mm. in North America, that they're all cooperated. They're all con- common denominators that they all follow the same geographic patterns in terms of where the sightings are, that the sightings are all reported by a wide diversity of people who have no idea that this is even a thing Hmm. and they just happen upon it and they're freaked out by it. Mm -hmm. Or they are people who do know it's a thing, can identify with it and go, holy crap, who do I turn to now? Because I don't want to talk to anybody. They're going to think I'm nuts. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that happens a lot. You know, I mean, as we said before, we've had Tom Whitmore from uh, MUFON on, on a few times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, I, I'm surprised at how many people I find have like a UAP or a UFO story. Yeah. Yep. And kind of have the same sort of uh, uh, feeling that I did when when I've had a couple of experiences. And I talked to him about it on the podcast, but it's like, you know, I've never really talked to anybody before of any authority about this. Right. Because of that very fact, of the fact that I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who was going to turn the story into what. Yep. I didn't know who could find it useful. And it's just that. It's just that, you know, I'm afraid I was being going to be judged by everybody that I ever exposed. That's absolutely right. And one of the things, so to go back to your question, John, about Mm -hmm. what are the things that I learned um, about the revisiting all of this is that these communities, these very small uh, town, I mean, population 400, 500, tiny little communities in Southwestern Arkansas, Right, you know, northeastern Texas, uh, northwestern Louisiana, these very tiny little pocket communities of people, they don't really want exposure. Right. I mean, these are people who really don't they they really don't want the limelight. They're there because they don't want you paying attention to them. They do not want you paying attention to them in any way, shape, or form. Right. So what I learned. That's most fascinating, I think, about the whole experience of this book and reading this book are all of the 
coming out, if you will, mm. experiences of some of these very, yeah, I mean, most of them hunters. Right. Because if you think about it, the people who are going to see this creature are going to be in the woods. People that are out in nature. Yeah. They're out in nature and most of them are hunters. So one of the things I love about these stories and about this book is, oh man, if you are a hunter anywhere in North America, I'm I'm not a hunter. I hunted when I was a kid with my grandfather. You know, I mean, right. I, I did, you know, I did a little bit of that and I, it's just not something I gravitated to, Right. but holy cow, can I identify with it? And if you're a hunter and you're out there in the woods, read this book mm. or you know, listen to it because the accounts are, they're going to hit home. Yeah. I mean, everything from being in a deer stand and, and, you know, six feet up and not really expecting what you see the people, the, the, the hunters that have reported this and they're coming mostly from hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also coming from local residents who have these very rural areas that are adjacent to uh, tree-lined areas and forests, uh-huh. um, and or who have livestock, hogs or cattle, or you know, if they have easily accessible food, uh-huh. I mean, come on, most animals are going to gravitate toward that, right? right. Yep, because they're going to come out of the woods and they're going to get easily accessible mm-hmm. food if they can. A food or a water source. Yep. Or a water source, which, of course, you know, the, one of the old adages is they always follow the creeks, uh-huh. you know, and they do. If you look at the major waterway, that's another thing I learned. If you look at the major waterways throughout all of the American South, uh, you know, the tributaries, the waterways, how they intersect, everywhere you find those waterways through heavily forested areas, uh-huh. you're going to find sightings and you're going to find reports and they're they're multiple reports it's in some of the most compelling reports in this book are when there are three or four or five people yeah that see the whole thing at the same time yeah mm-hmm. and it can't be explained any other way right that those are some of the other things lyle looks at he looks at okay how credible is this right is this just somebody wanting attention or is this a really credible report based on prior reports based on the database that he's he's built mm-hmm. so he, yeah he's he's really I love what he's done. I love that he has taken this legend that is part of my legacy mm-hmm. that I have since I was a toddler, since I grew up. I mean, this has been a part of my life. Right. And he's actually done something with it to bring it into, you know, bring it from a speculative science into something that could actually become one day, maybe not in my lifetime, but in somebody's lifetime, a real science. Yeah. And we will know that this has existed. I mean, for God's sake, I just read in the New York Times uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's support now. They've they found uh, the bones that support the legendary sightings of the Loch Ness Monster. Hmm. You know, the, 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 the paleontologists have actually unearthed <gasps> something that's like, Oh wow! We did not know this existed before, huh. and we didn't think it was possible. But now we're starting to look at all the reports at Loch Ness. That's interesting. In Scotland, and we're like going, "Whoa, <laughs> this may actually be a thing." Right? Yeah, I I like that stuff, and I think it's kind of 
I appreciate it when it's well, like documented and researched. I hate just like the bullshit. Well, I saw this. No, man. Yeah. You know, show me something. Tell me something. I, I, whether you're right or wrong, I I don't honestly care that much. I just think it's really interesting hearing some of these really good stories. That's what's great about Lyle's work is that he doesn't make a case either way. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. I mean, actually, you can read all of his work and you're like, where does he stand on? Does he believe the thing makes it? You're not going to you're not going to get an answer from him on that. Right. What you are going to get is just well-documented accounts. Yeah. And you're going to be able to form your own opinion. And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, this is too, that. that's, you can't even push that into the realm of coincidence. Right. Right. Yeah. You should go back and check out seriously. Our buddy, Tom Whitmore from MUFON. He is that kind of guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. He really is. And man, when he starts telling you just some of the theories, wow, for things out there it is just like holy fuck yeah i never looked at it from that angle yeah that is fascinating i don't know if this shit's real or not but wow what a take well that's just the thing i think a lot of people who research things like this are just automatically i mean just like aaron said they're kind of lumped into this category of being kooks because they're even researching it in the first place but it's like when you look at the fact that they're researching it as a phenomenon yeah and they're saying okay well you know what is the paradigm of this phenomenon what makes it something that is of interest to anyone and they start to because so many people disregard those stories so many people disregard those comments and sightings and and people's uh, you know because they just think that well it's just automatically gets lumped in this category and they don't take them seriously I mean, and as you say about hunters that's one thing that you know i grew up hunting and i know that god you got to take those people seriously i mean i've seen some strange shit in the woods but i could always explain it yeah that's right that's 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 what's that's what's compelling mm-hmm. about all of these hunter stories is that they are experienced hunters They've right. seen pretty much everything they're gonna see in their lifetime, right? When they're out there, and they've they and they know that, and we get the whole range of hunters, right? The the kids who learned it from their fathers, the kids that are out there with their fathers, the, the fathers who learned it from their fathers. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start you start seeing and cataloging reports from experienced mm-hmm. legacy hunters. Right um, in these uh, in these particular areas, yeah, and and uh, there are some chilling accounts, dudes, in this book. Yeah, I mean, the Falk monster. I think probably the Falk monster being unique, of course, to that particular area of Arkansas, mm-hmm. which is what this initial book, The Beast of Boggy Creek, is about. It's about the Falk monster. It's about the reports that have gen- been generated around this one geographic region, right. around the Sulphur River bottoms in Arkansas. The, I mean, and some of Lyle's geographic writing is beautiful. It just <clears throat> really transports you to these specific geographic locations. Mm. And that's another thing I love about it. His writing is just damn good. Yeah. So so guys, I have a little excerpt. If I could if I could read you a little excerpt from the yeah, book. Absolutely. Yeah, go for it. So this is it's 
I think it's one of the one of it's one of the highlights for me. There are many, mm-hmm. but this is one of the highlights for me because it's a firsthand account from Lyle, mm-hmm. and it's one of his. You know, he's never seen the creature himself. Right. You know, he's always wanted. You know, he's interviewed so many people for God's sake. Right. That that would be great for him. I mean, what a treat! But this is as close as I think Lyle got to seeing evidentiary proof of something Mm -hmm. and it's a really cool so just to give you some background of where this picks up lyle and his wife they were at a uh like a big bigfoot conference they have these you know there's the bigfoot research conservancy Uh all of these different organizations that have been built up around this whole phenomenon And he and his wife were traveling to one of them, and it was really on the outskirts of Falk, where the Falk monster hails from. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why they were going was because they wanted to hear a particular speaker at this conference, mm-hmm. Smoky Crabtree. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar with the legend of Boggy Creek, you'll remember that name, at least. Smoky Crabtree is he, he's an inter- interesting was an interesting character. He he was half showman, mm-hmm. so you never knew what he was doing if he was real or not. Right. If he was the man behind the curtain, mm-hmm. but he, the reason why he turned showman was because he had some very real experiences, and he found ways to capitalize. On those experiences, his experiences, nonetheless, were fascinating. And so Lyle wanted to check it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to hear him speak with his wife and Smokey invites he and his wife and about, I think, three or four other people to a warehouse where he has collected what he feels might be the remains of such a creature. Mm-hmm. As the Falcomont. Hmm. So Lyle's going, yeah, okay, right. Okay. Right. Let's let's go for the ride. Let's let's what? bring yeah. it on. Bring it on. Let's see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he takes them to this warehouse. They like uh, there's a padlock and everything. He to, to he un you know does the padlock and then there are all these freaking things in the in the warehouse. And that's kind of where the excerpt that I'm gonna start reading begins. Sure. Okay. Smokey slid the wooden panel out of the way, revealing a large display case behind it. The case appeared to be roughly eight feet by four feet deep and two feet high. It was made of clear acrylic glass resting on top of a wooden support structure, which was like a table on wheels. Smokey undid the front latch and propped open the glass lid so we could all get a better look inside. The first thing that hit me was the smell. The stench of organic decay made worse by the closed confines of the acrylic glass case and dead air of the musty building. When the lid was raised, all the pent-up odor crawled out and hung like an invisible fog in the immediate area. It was pretty much the worst thing I have ever smelled. But as I gazed into the case, I quickly forgot about the horrible smell. Inside lay the skeletal remains of something that had once been a very large animal, of some type. It was devoid of skin, but covered with a layer of dried sinew, tendons, and muscle which still clung to the bones. 
It was something between a skinless corpse and a skeleton, mostly brown and yellow in color, and completely intact except for the skull. Everyone in the group stood somewhat aghast, adjusting to the foul odor, and tried to figure out what kind of skeleton it was that lay before us. I ran through a quick list in my mind. Human? No. Dog? No. Deer? No. Horse? No. Bear? I don't think so. Ape? Maybe? Smokey explained that it had been found just south of the Arkansas border in Texas. I amended my list of possibilities to include more of the indigenous wildlife, such as armadillo, beaver, and coyote, but the skeleton was far too large to be any of those. Cougar, perhaps? Yeah, cougars have been known to inhabit the area, but still it looked too massive even for the largest variety of southern mountain lion. I was at a loss for a reasonable explanation. All that was left at the moment was to consider the possibility that it had belonged to something more unique, something as yet unexplained. Was I looking at the skeletal remains of a falcon monster? My nerves tingled at the thought. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's just freaking good writing, and it's also a uh, good first-person yeah. account. Yeah, it definitely takes you there, you know? Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're, yeah, you feel like you're in the room. And that's exactly what I would do in that moment. I would just, in my head, I'd be trying to disprove it, trying to disprove it, trying to that's disprove right. it. That's right, yep. Where's this guy trying to fuck with me? Right, yep. Pull one over Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because, you know, I mean, I think he was also Smoky Crabtree, the the, he, the plaster cast that you see in the movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek, uh-huh. that mm-hmm. came from, I think, his bean field. Hmm. You know, it's, it's questionable as to whether or not he created that, you know. Right. And then he tried to sell tickets uh, to, I mean, he was just a showman, you know. <clears throat> so there was, yeah, it was kind of like, whoa, that's crazy. But But, and so what's really great about this story, though, is Lyle also delves into the backstory. Okay, he is able to trace where that thing came from Mm. in terms of where it was found. Uh, You know, there's, it's probably more than likely that that skeleton was actually uh, dumped by a taxidermist who was working on, is what Lyle comes to. Mm. It's not probably a falc monster or a Bigfoot of some kind. And I think we kind of get the impression that it's really definitely not. But the journey Lyle takes us on to get us there is freaking fascinating. Right. Because it opens up the door of uh, possibility, right? So we all of a sudden start thinking, okay, wow, there, there is an opening. But we have to be very clear about those openings. Yes. In terms of what is factually based, what is evidential, you know, what has been researched well enough mm-hmm. to uh, throw it into the, the the realm of science and not the realm of speculative fiction. Right. But it, it at least it at least gives you a window into that. There's a, a sociological kind of cadre of people like this. Oh, yeah. And that there's, uh, you know, experiences like this that, that are going on that are outside of, you know, the realm of, of maybe deep scientific research. But there's still uh, this culture or subculture. Right of people it's an interesting slice of americana too it's super sure. interesting especially in this particular region of the south mm-hmm. where there is still a proclivity for people to it's not bader meinhof complex it's this idea of 
I don't know. I'm sure there's a psychological term for it, mm. um, but we see it a lot uh, playing out in our current demographics that coalesce around mm. a particular political persuasive ar- argument mm-hmm. that could absolutely have no basis in fact whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And people uh, tend to coalesce around that. Well, conspiracy theories, for example. Right. Shaden Freud. Sure. Yeah. There's a proclivity for certain people to, especially if their neighbors buy into something because of because they they are they heard it from a trusted source, right. you know, a friend or a neighbor or a pastor or someone they believe in, right. and that then gets propelled and moved forward to the point to where it becomes almost reality, right? Even though it's Founded on fiction, right? And Lyle does a great job of dissecting and and identifying. Right. Okay, that's probably where this came from in this particular right. sense. So let's not count that or include that in our discussion. It speaks to the people that have bullshit radar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear more from you about that, Matt. Well, I, I really do think, like, I, I was just kind of thinking in my head. A lot of these people that we are talking about politically, they will just eat up any bullshit that's thrown at them as long as it's by the right person. Right. Right. Me, on the other hand, and that's why I'm so fucking horrified, because I have some pretty decent bullshit radar. (laughs) And oh, my God, (laughs) does that guy set off the sirens? Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. I'm just like, holy fuck. Fuck, my bullshit radar is like going insane. Yeah. How are you people not seeing this shit? Right, right. Oh my, and it scares the fuck out. That's what scares me. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, also, I think, I don't know if it's more anxiety producing or less anxiety producing for me to know that this shit has been going on since there have been human beings on the planet. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So it's not anything new. I mean, I, I'm working right now. I mean, one of my many projects is I'm production designer for Mission Operas, two main stage productions. They're in Santa Clarita, a small regional opera company in Santa mm-hmm. Clarita. I've been doing their production design, meaning I'm designing conceptually their opera productions for a few seasons now. And I'm very grateful to be able to have if this is where the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree <sighs> my father his work in the legend of Bucky creek for example mm-hmm. was you know recreating all of this atmosphere mm-hmm. um the gels the color and if you see the restored film i mean my god the the, the colors are just spectacular oh, yeah, it's beautiful. i mean it's just a beautiful film to watch mm-hmm. but also uh you know like the glass tree was uh, something he put a lot of work into where he mm-hmm. put all of the you know recreating the, all of the jars on the tree limbs and yeah. all of these wonderful things well that's what i'm doing now but i'm doing it for live theater and uh, you know the, the the point that i'm trying to make there is that uh in designing a show you know, I'm having to I'm having to really think through these elements of um, what's going to appeal to an audience in an authentic way. Yeah. Without 
looking like I'm trying or I'm trying to manipulate them. Or that it's contrived, yeah. Right, right. That's yeah. a hard balance to strike. Yeah. It's, it's hard to strike, but when I think about the current political situation, I think about Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. Mm, yeah, I was going to mention Caesar earlier. The yeah. first, the first main st- stage production I'm designing for Mission Opera is Romeo and Juliet, the Gounod mm-hmm. uh, opera from um, you know 1867. So it's very solidly mid 19th century opera, and it is very much in a 19th. I mean, it, there's nothing you know, 16th century about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than its source material, mm-hmm. it is new music. It's contemporary. It's like most productions actually set it in a 19th century, mid 19th century. Kind of the Boslerman version of Right. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it was right yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. That's what Gounod was doing. He was like, right updating Romeo and Juliet like Bernstein did with West Side Story. It's not any different, really. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, the production that uh, that I'm designing, I'm, I'm uh, you know working very closely with the stage director, and we wanted to bring aspects of the globe, mm-hmm. the Shakespeare mm-hmm. globe, the into it and make it more meta, meta, right. so that it almost becomes a theater within a, a theater piece. Mm-hmm. You know, without getting into the details of that, it rem- what we're talking about reminds me that this phenomenon of people coalescing around a fiction mm-hmm. is nothing new. It's not unprecedented. Sure. And in fact, great works of art have been built up around this very subject. Absolutely. To teach us, I think about the dangers inherent in it. Sure. And so it's I'm very fortunate to be working in uh, an artistic capacity that allows me to explore these kinds of things. Yeah. That's also very apparent in uh, some of these, uh, you know, in Lyle's work and some of the, the work of the, you know, you, you could even say, you mentioned John, I think you mentioned the UFO phenomenon and uh, UFO sightings and all of that sort of thing. Uh-huh earlier i i'm sure that there are studies on that end as well you know all unexplained phenomenon phenomena phenomena can be i think it's it's a worthy discussion to have Mm. what i don't like for example let me let me let me tell you so the genre of writing that lyle does so the audiobook that i just done of the beast of body Bucky creek mm-hmm. the genre you're gonna see it mixed but the the primary genre you're gonna see it in is speculative non-fiction mm-hmm. think about that so i'm gonna bring shakespeare back into it and point uh-huh. out that shakespeare most of his plays weren't his stories originally right he right. went out and he found these old stories and mm-hmm. what he did yeah. Was he figured out how to tell the story better? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. And that's kind of what you're trying to do and what Lyle's trying to do. Actually, yeah. Romeo and Juliet comes from, um, uh, there are centuries before Shakespeare's play. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, th- and actually, there's a great body of research from Shakespeare scholars that will tell you exactly what, where he got his ideas and his actual source material from. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, to the point to where Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet could be considered a um, an adaptation. Yeah, yeah. right. It's fanfic. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, essentially. And I mean, that's what I was going to say about Caesar mm-hmm. and Julius Caesar. It's like there's so many people who look to Shakespeare's work and are sympathetic to everything that Caesar went through in the Ides of March and, uh, you know, to Brute and, you know, they, they think about the assassination and, and that's kind of the view that Shakespeare took was like, you know, this poor man was murdered. It's like, there's a reason why all those people murdered that son of a bitch. <laughs> that's true. And they weren't just bad guys, but I mean, you know, we look at Brutus uh, still this day and brutality and, and the source of those things as being, it's like, you know, but he might've had a good motive. But I also think, when I think of that play, mm-hmm. I think what stands out to me most is the idea of mob mentality. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's Shakespeare's interpretation. And what we've seen in our own government very recently. Fuck, that's good. Yeah, you're creeping me out again. There mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. Jesus. So, again, there's not, there's, what we're going through is not unprecedented, but it is, it, it, I, I challenge everyone I meet to look at at what we're going through, through many different lenses. An historical lens is super important. I mean, for God's sake, if we don't know our history, we're doomed. Right. 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 And that's why I'm scared is because I do know history and I'm really, we're getting pretty close to the doomed part. Oh God. Yeah. Especially with what's going on (laughs) with what's going on in Texas and, you know, book bannings. Well, Hey, I'm in Florida guys. Yeah. Holy cow. And we're still in Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) And you're still in Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) You're Florida and Rachel. Oh shit. Okay. Well, if you're, we're playing that game, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm about ready to piss. Uh, can we, uh, I bet I can piss farther than you. <laughs> anyway, well, what do you have? What do you have guys? I mean, what, what's going on in the world? Oh, the world, the world. Isn't that a boy, subjective thing? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, my world's very local lately. I'm going back to work, going back to school, teaching, trying to get excited about that. Awesome. Yeah. Much better than the uh, pandemic version, what teaching was. But of course, we're kind of ignoring, you know, or or placating the idea that uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Of course, it's still going on. Right. And in teaching in what capacity, John? Uh, Well, I work in special education. Okay. Primarily working with kids with autism. Spectacular. Is where I work. Um, you know, basic, uh, uh, yeah, repetitive learning, uh, discrete trial, mm-hmm. uh, uh, things mm-hmm. like that. So my world, as it's put, is very limited to that. Uh, not a lot of abstract work in what I do. Very remediated, but important. Mm-hmm. You know, in integrating I mean- people with disabilities into uh, the modern world and, and into the functioning world. That's such important work. I'm so. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I too am starting uh, my, my eighth job is actually, I was just accepted to voice faculty at, uh, I guess I can't, I should say it. I should say it. It's part of my job now. I should help promote my university, mm-hmm. um, Nova Southeastern university. It's a beautiful, well-funded 
uh, research university in Florida, uh, Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. Nice. It's an interesting, you know, I'm on voice faculty, so I'm teaching uh, applied voice and then uh, undergraduate coursework. I just got my first, this is my first academic job. Mm. And I just got, I had to set my schedule. Uh, we start on Monday and I, I just set my schedule with my students. Mm. And I got that first email mm -hmm. addressing me as Professor Ball. <laughs> it was like, oh, I wanted to frame it. You know, it was like the <laughs> right. moment. I just wanted to frame the moment. It was so yeah, beautiful. Right. Yeah. So that, you know, I, I've got a lot of work to do there. You know, it's an interesting, uh, it, it's a great crossroads for me. Uh -huh. They're hiring me, of course, on faculty to bring in great part what I've been doing professionally to their students to help them do basically what I do, which is horrifying <laughs> on what is into the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also it's also a very affirming, life affirming, and mm -hmm. career affirming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always resented that uh, terminology, that, you know, uh, those who can't teach. And it's like, uh, no, 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 no. There's many things that I can do that I could not teach you how to do. Mm. It's a different skill. It's a different skill entirely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, especially my first certification, I got a certification in, in uh, teaching history. Mm -hmm. I, I have my undergrad at a history degree, and it's like, oh, I can do this. You know, they, wow. I, I know so much history. I could do this, mm -hmm. but teaching it mm -hmm. to others and having them absorb mm -hmm. it, having them express it, having them relate to it. Ooh, it's a struggle. It can be, you know, especially when you look at the diversity of people and how they learn. So is it the diversity? I was going to ask what is making it a struggle for you specifically? I mean, in terms, is it the student demographic and the- It is. The, the current times, you know, I can imagine our current cultural and political time. I mean, as far as like special education is concerned, mm -hmm. it's been easier in some capacity because a lot of children with autism, they are just the same as they are different. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of ways are certain avenues of teaching, certain strategies that you use that, that uh, work kind of universally. Um, but then there's others that don't because of splinter skills and their ability to do things in different areas. But history, as far as for typically developing students is concerned, uh, yeah. I mean, the places where kids come from, where they have their, you know, their biases from their family, where they have... Uh, you know, so many different ways of learning things and myths you have to bust. The uh, mm -hmm. the idea of of bottoms up versus top down history is, is oh. very hard for kids. You know, in, in high school and, and just the general apathy of high schoolers too half the time. Yeah, yeah, you're competing with all of that. You're competing with you know trouble with girlfriends and boyfriends and you Which know is and, normal. We right. would expect that, but yeah, then they, you've got their background and i'm sure a lot of that just comes from their parents right yeah I it mean, does it does their family dynamic and, and and keeping it interesting keeping them engaged is you know very difficult in teaching history you know i mean primarily when i got my undergrad it was just because i you know i said i'd rather write a 30 page paper than do 10 math problems <laughs> right <laughs> any day wow. of the week i can bullshit my way through a 30 page paper you know, that's that's really interesting because you know it's, it's so that brings up a really interesting subject i mean philosophically mm -hmm. it's like is there a point at which history becomes abstract 
Oh, absolutely. I think it's totally subjective. Mm-hmm. History for a dock worker in Boston, you know, when the atomic bomb dropped in Japan or, or the bombs per se, uh, is totally different than a dock worker in Tokyo. Yeah, of course. And I mean, those perspectives, I mean, history is all about perspective mm-hmm. and what it means to you. And and, and those things are all subjective. They, you know, the, the times of looking at dates and events and, and things like that are important. But, but what makes those things important is how it relates to people. It's the human, it's the human issue, you know. So what, what's fascinating to me is we're seeing, especially here in Florida, leg, my state's legislature, mm-hmm. le- legislation and their legislative initiatives, an attempt to control the narrative of history. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. So there is a singular perspective, mm-hmm. and it's stunning to me that that's happening because that happened – that's been happening – I would expect that to happen like centuries earlier i thought we'd kind of advanced beyond that sure no 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 yeah. no, no. we're going backwards we haven't <laughs> <laughs> and i'm kind of like oh wow Oopsie really daisy. that's yeah. that's surprising to me i guess i haven't been paying attention right. <laughs> <laughs> i should have voted in the fucking primary <laughs> uh, yeah yeah yeah. And I think, man, I think a lot of people have been getting that wake up call with like the, the Supreme choice or the Supreme court. Yeah. <laughs> the Supreme choice is a good way to put it. Supreme choice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was, that was, a, that was a spectacular. What did we say? Conflation. Com- okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> the Supreme love choice. It, love it. <laughs> oh my God. It works. It absolutely does. does. Well, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> or it doesn't. Well, it's true. It's it, it is an interesting time, and I do. I will say, in the last few weeks, I've felt a lot more encouraged than I have in a long time. Yeah, we're getting a little boost. All right, that there's been a shot in the arm. Yeah, Matt, what's going on? What's going on with you, my brother? What's going on with me? Uh, yeah, still yeah. working at home. Talking to sad people uh, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, but making making a difference, though, my friend, making a difference, right? I try to. Yeah, yeah we're both trying. I mean, you, you are. I mean, you, you have to believe that because otherwise we're all doomed. <laughs> no shit. And I better be because I could be making a fuck ton more doing something else. Oh, sure. Yeah. less stress yeah. and... Yeah. You know, I, that maybe that's a bad way to put it. Maybe that's the honest way to put it, though. Yeah. Too, you know, if if it didn't mean something to me, I guarantee you I would find another line of work. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. bravo, yeah. bravo, um, as we say in opera, because mm-hmm. my friend, uh, you know, that's, that's you know, I, I was talking uh, to a, another friend of mine who was struggling with some personal issues and work issues and mm-hmm. professional issues. And, you know, I mean, it's on the one hand, it's easy for me to say this because I'm in a really good place in my life, mm-hmm. work and professionally, and I'm doing the things that are a part of my vocation. And I'm very blessed and very thankful and grateful for that. I, what I tend to forget is all of, all of the hard freaking ball busting work I've done to get myself there. Yeah. 
I tend to be the kind of person to go, oh my God, that's it's like beautiful. It's like a miracle. I can't believe this is happening to me. I won that. Uh-huh. Oh, that's right. fabulous. Oh, that's great. And I'm like, wait, I have to back up and go, I starved myself to death. <laughs> right. I had no yeah. sleep mm-hmm. for six months. <laughs> I worked my fingers to the fucking bone right. for two years i put myself through hell for six i mean mm-hmm. I, I tend to conveniently forget about all of that and everything seems like a great miracle and a great blessing right yeah so it's easy for me to to tell someone else or to say to someone else you know or to have to coach someone else um to think more simplistically yeah my go-to question is one that was asked of me mm-hmm. by my mother, my beautiful, beautiful mother, when I was coming out of uh, some horrible medical issues, uh, hospitalization for almost half a year, mm-hmm. a stroke, debilitating. They didn't, nobody, no, none of the doctors would ever have expected me to be con- a contributing member of society right. today. And one question and the only question that my mother asked me was, what makes you happy? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just what makes you happy? What is the thing that brings you joy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'd never been asked that before. I'd never been confronted with, with that before. I had always been, you know, I had all of these things that I did and I, I just did them, but I never concentrated them into the one simplified point, the singularity, and the singularity was what is the one thing that brings me maximum joy? Mm. And that one thing was music. And that's yeah. why I set off on my path to do that. But, but it's so it's, it's, you know, we don't, Matt, mm-hmm. you have to know that you are making a tremendous difference in so many people's lives by now. I hope so. You know, and it's a weird thing. Cause like, I, I want that at the same time. I can't think that way either. I think if I keep thinking that way, it'll kind of make me not good. Mm, complacent. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it yeah. does. Yeah, it absolutely does. Keep you on your toes, my brother. Yeah. It's, you know, and I have to be on my toes and I, that doesn't mean I don't have off nights. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't times when I get a call from somebody and I'm like, what the fuck is your deal? <laughs> or you're dialing it in, you know, <sighs> you know, right. Yeah. Or yeah. Or just, it can be all the, cause there are some really fucked up things that people will call me with. And I probably shouldn't go into any detail on that. Yeah. It's just like Lyle. Okay, we could go back to the beast of Boggy Creek. Right. So it's like Lyle right. getting a call or a report. From someone who, I don't know, maybe they had a fabulous night out smoking meth, right? <laughs> and they, they go, I just got attacked by a fucking Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. And that doesn't sound unrealistic to me. Right. <laughs> like, I, I could probably tell you some calls that were on that level. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you got to listen to all of them. You know, 
You do, and 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 not become, I think, biased or jaded. Okay, yeah. uh, that that would be the hard thing for me. Sure. I mean, I would be like, and that's probably like the hard thing for Lyle too, right? You you get so many of these non credulous calls and reports, and you're like, oh Jesus Christ, how do I? How do I? <laughs> yeah. You know, and at what point do you not? If there's, a, for example, a disparity in the number of calls that you get that are just like, wow, this is not urgent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, it's potentially not at a 911 level. Right. Uh-huh. It still needs to be managed, but what compartment do I put that in? Right. You know what I mean? And that can go on for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there's no bellwether that says, you Especially know. Especially since the pandemic, when yeah. people are so alone. Oh, yeah. I mean, people have been, oh, God, people just wanting to talk to people. They just want to talk to people. Yeah, it, it's, gotten, it, it's gotten worse for sure with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you fall back on your your education and your knowledge and your experience, mm-hmm. for sure. But, but that's 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 a lot Matt. that's a lot yeah yeah i i don't know how he does what he does i mean and- uh, yeah, well but you, sometimes you get real with him too and it's yeah. it's really you have to pick your moments yeah yeah on, on how and when to get real with someone but you know every like somebody that just keeps calling me back keeps call- and gets mm-hmm. really really rude and just thinks that you know you should be there for them for everything right right and you're not saying you i guarantee you you're not writing checks to me, right? You're not doing, and I, and basically you have to say, you know what? I appreciate that you're having a hard time, but I am not the person to help you for this right, right. now. Yeah, I can't help you through that level of halo that you're trying to beat. Um, that's making you sad. You know what? I'm a person too. Right now, I have. To, I've literally told someone. Right now, I've had to pee for 15 minutes. <laughs> right. You know, I've had to like get that real with some of them sometimes to me. Holy shit, this is a real person I'm talking oh, yeah, to. Yeah, it's like human. If you're not if you're not gonna do that, who is? If you're not yeah. gonna be the person who says that to them, who's who else is gonna say it? Right. You know? Yeah. They obviously don't have other people in their lives to say it, or everyone in their life is saying it. Right. And you're just another person to push it forward. Yeah. Right, but then there are times you can't say it too. Yeah, I know there are people who you know, and I, I don't, I, I'm not a professional. I, I can't diagnose and I can't analyze, or you know, I can only armchair my way through this. But I've met people in my life uh-huh. who have been so unhappy. I mean, very unhappy mm-hmm. all their lives. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean, my thought is that. Doesn't that kind of negative energy build a toxin that will eventually destroy you physically and that they should die early, right? Mm. But they don't. Some of the people (laughs) I know who have that, they live until they're 99 or 105. And they're just as, they become more and more toxic. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it kind of flies in the face of of everybody saying, yeah, stress is a killer. It's like, really? Exactly. (laughs) It's exactly. How how have you been evil all of your life and you live to be 105? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this isn't checking out with the whole stress is a killer thing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 
people are inclined, I think, in some way they have presets that they get. And there's like even research that like if you've got a like a depressed mom, like while the child is in the womb, mm. that becomes like it, it gets into like the kid's nervous system is like that's the it's standard. Like that's where you're, yeah. that's the baseline. Chemically, that's where you're supposed to be. Hmm. Well, yeah, well, I understand that through um, just some of the light research that I've done in terms of genetic memory. Mm, which yeah. fucking amazes me. I mean, yeah. so beyond our lifetimes, you know, the whole psycho and analytical diagnosis of phobias, that's mm. going to be a fiction, you yeah. know, after our lifetimes, because phobias, you know, right now are defined as irrational fears. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. all of the science is pointing to the fact that they're not irrational, that right. they, they're stemming from traumatic experiences that happened before people were born, but while they were in after conception. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, that DNA is being passed down to children. Mm-hmm. So, for example, fear of spiders, mm-hmm. someone freaking got poisoned by a spider when they were pregnant or, or in terms of men, Mm -hmm. you know, know, maybe they got poisoned by a spider and then they decided to fuck somebody (laughs) (laughs) and then they died. Let's just hope they had a good sexual experience. That checks out. You know, then they died. Some men deal with things. (laughs) That becomes then a trauma that is built in to DNA, yeah. right? So there's like this genetic transference of memory, yeah. of traumatic memory. And and the more it's science that's coming out about it, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. that's why we're afraid of shit we don't even know why we're afraid right. of. It's because our great, great, great grandmother had some kind of fucking wacko incident with a yeah. bee mm-hmm. or something or a snake. Yeah. I don't know. I have a phobia that I didn't used to have. And I just kind of picked up on it recently, like how bad it actually was. Hmm. Like I, when I was a kid, I was not like claustrophobic. I would crawl like, you know, the tunnels that would go under the highway that were maybe like two feet tall. Mm-hmm. I'd crawl through those things. No problem. Didn't bother me mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Oh, here, what a couple of months ago, just, they wanted to do an MRI on me for some, minor bullshit Mm -hmm. and i was like okay they started to slide me into that machine and like literally two seconds i was like nope fuck this i'm out interesting it like freaked me out and had you this was your first mri yeah well but you know that still i mean you've had experiences that are way more confining than that in your life i don't know well i I don't know it felt like i was in a closet you know or i was in like a casket almost like it like there's no space between my face maybe two inches yeah i didn't realize and i've never i'm not claustrophobic i wouldn't say i am i don't like being in confined spaces right i'm not afraid of them You know, I don't freak out or have anxiety attacks or anything if I like, and I've had MRIs and I'm not, you know, that doesn't bother me, but I will tell you what does freak me out Mm -hmm. is the prospect of being buried alive. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah. that comes from reading Edgar fucking Allan Poe when yeah, I was son of a bitch. 12. That right. sounds like an awful way to go. The cats, yeah. the cats, <sighs> gelato. I mean, reading that kind of shit when I was like 12 and I was like, oh, it also gave me a phobia of brick walls. Mm. Oh, from uh, the cask of Amontillado. Yeah. It's not <laughs> like it's, it's a fear of like, I, I can live in a brick house. Right. right. I'm not afraid of a brick wall. I love exposed brick. I think stylistically it's fabulous. Yeah, it's I love restaurants with exposed brick. But when I see a brick layer, mm. like doing the mortar and the bricks and stacking the bricks, I have a little bit of an anxiety attack. Huh. <laughs> like stay away from that guy. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because Don't there's the possibility <laughs> you could seal me into something and I'll uh, never get out. Yeah. Yeah, the Casco Amontillado did that to me after I read it. That's what it was. That's uh, the story. That's the story. That yeah, yeah. And the bells jingling, you know, from wearing oh the carnival hat. Oh, my God. Stop. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Let's switch. Change the subject. Right. Change it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about Bigfoot, for God's sake? Let's yes, talk let's about go back Bigfoot. to Bigfoot. <laughs> I, I do have a funny side story. My last house, they had to do some repair in the uh, bathroom. Mm -hmm. They put a hole in the wall. My cat crawled in there, then <laughs> no, they sealed oh, it back no. up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's video of it. Yeah. I've got video of it. Yeah, yeah, I had to like knock oh, in the drywall to, and oh like call. <laughs> we were all like, "Where's the cat?" And you could hear him. He was like, "I'm oh, here." Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus! That's a oh, okay. Bastard. Okay, guys, I really mean it. Change the fucking subject. <laughs> wide open spaces. I'm actually agoraphobic of that. Of like wide open spaces. Hmm like driving through the Kansas prairie or whatever and seeing like just nothing forever. It doesn't bother me when I look out over the ocean, I find that soothing, huh. but just seeing like, you know, prairie that just goes on forever. Which I, de I developed a little bit of agoraphobia when um, I was in high school, but it mm -hmm. had, I think almost exclusively to do with the cold war mm -hmm. and the threat of nuclear, mm -hmm. a nuclear attack because I associated the prospect of a nuclear bomb or uh, apocalypse by a nuclear bomb with some kind of vast open space. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah. I think it probably had to do with, do you remember there was a made for TV movie? What was with a uh, red something red scare or red. I can't remember what it was called. Was it one that was set like in the KC area. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got all those silos. Uh huh. I think I remember that. Yeah. And the girl uh -huh. like running outside with the Jason. The Jason Robards. Jason Robards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't. It was horrifying. Mm -hmm. And it. And I think it was because they used like the 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 vast Kansas wheat fields mm -hmm. as you know part of the cinema cinemagraphic. Uh, uh, landscape right so it was the whole the whole composition was about these vast open places because i mean honestly if you're going to film a nuclear blast <laughs> with nobody around effectively <laughs> right. right 
you're going to want a wide open space to right. do the whole mushroom cloud and the whole thing, right? So right. I think that's where I got it from. The day after. That's what the day after. The day after. after. Thank yeah. you. That's exactly the movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was terrifying. Yeah. I think that movie freaked a lot of people it out. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the girl running out into the fallout. And it's like, it's snowing. No, it's not. But wasn't that the one that, like, there was, like, controversy because people thought it was actually real like it was actually happening oh i didn't know that oh, i didn't know that either kind of like uh mm-hmm. like like the war of the worlds war of the world. yeah. yeah uh-huh i think there was something i think there was some kind of controversy if it wasn't about that one it was about something else but i think it may have been about that and there was like because it was done in the style of news reports so oh, they yeah. would have like mm-hmm. newscasts mm-hmm. that um mm-hmm. came on and people thought it was really happening mm, yeah. and it freaked them out. I think I, I could be conflating that with something else. Yeah. There was another one uh, made for TV esque type film talking about media and stilling uh, uh, phobias um, that made me just scared to death of disease when I was a kid. And that was called the Cassandra crossing. I don't know that one. I've heard the name, but I don't. Yeah, it was about a, a virus that escapes on a train. And, you know, this train's like barreling across the country or whatever. And this virus escapes from vials. I don't, I don't remember how to. But, you know, I was old enough to realize, you know, kind of how viruses and sickness worked. Oh. And, you know, it was like they can't, you know, they can't stop the train anywhere or else it'll, you know, spread throughout that community or whatever. So they had to, like, keep the train barreling on. I don't remember exactly what the plot was, but I remember the name that wasn't of the, based the name. on like a, that wasn't based on like a Michael Crichton book or something. It was might've it? been, I don't know. It, you know. It sounds very similar. Oh, well the stand, you can look at the oh, Stephen yeah, King yeah, book, yeah. the stand. Yeah. I mean, that was like the quintessential yeah. book for me. Right. That was like, Armageddon virus contagion. Mm-hmm. I think the most f- relieving thing about the stand was it, it was the end and the fact that you find out, oh, the, well, it's the devil. Right. And it's this apocalyptic thing. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. at least it's fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? at, least, at least people aren't uh, pulling the string That's here, right? Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, oh, thank yeah. God the devil's at fault again. <laughs> yeah. I need the bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, devil. Thank you for the devil. Yes, thank, thank you, Satan. Thank you, Satan. All oh, praise, Satan. Thank you. On that note, I've got to prepare oh, yeah, for church <laughs> tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, oh, I do Lord. send my best regards to all the men. And you have fun in church tomorrow. I will. You know, I love uh, the church where I'm working. I'm artist in residence at... I'll, wonderful uh, church, uh, 50 years strong. We are the largest church servicing the LGBTQ plus community in the world. Wow. And so we have, yeah, we have uh, television broadcasts every week with reruns on uh, Tuesday and Thursday. Right on. And so I, I sing two services every Sunday the early morning morning service and then the televised service at 10:30 but i love that you know i mean being mm-hmm. a gay man it mm-hmm. it also is very um i feel like i'm making such a difference in music ministry yeah. uh with in my community and you know i go out after church and I, you know i've got a, my little 
uh, a wonderful little cabaret that we go to there in Wilton Manors mm-hmm. in Fort Lauderdale. And I meet up with a lot of the congregation and, you know, it's kind of an extended uh, community extension is what it is uh, from church. I, I've really enjoyed uh, being a part of making a difference in the spiritual community of uh, Fort Lauderdale. It's been, it's been really, really nice. Wonderful. Yeah. It's a good fit. Yeah. And that said, you know, if you ever want to tap into the Sunshine Community initiatives, uh, you know, you can always sign up to petition to sign a wonderful postcard that says, gay, 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 that we're going to send to fucking DeSantis. Uh, (laughs) I'll sign that. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know. The buffoons running our state government right now. And they have no idea. No idea. Yeah, that does give me a warm, fuzzy feeling. (laughs) Yeah, well, you could also, man, you're not that far from uh, Mar a Lago, are you? Uh, We're south. Um, So we're probably about an hour and a half south. That's not far. That's worth the the postage for the postcard. (laughs) I'll send you all the money for the stamp. You know, I'm in the Boca, Boca Raton, Deerfield Beach. So we're we're about uh, 15 minutes north of Fort Lauderdale and about 40 40 minutes north of Miami. (laughs) So we're more south, but we're Broward County. Uh, And then I think it switches to West Palm beach. I think that's its own County, but that's probably, yeah, I think I haven't been up there. There's a great symphony up there. Mm. um, And a a lot of my colleagues are performing for that symphony. And I haven't made my way up there just because it's like a drive. It's a little bit of a haul. You know, I mean, I've been to Orlando for foot volley tournaments and that's like a two and a half hour drive, three hour drive. Places like that are always closer than you think. You know, it's like, I, you know, it's like, I think about getting into Kansas city and you know, it's only two hours from here. And every time I go, it's like, that's really not that far. I really need to get here more often, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So where are you? you, Columbia? Yeah, I'm Columbia. Yeah. Yeah, so, Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, thank Aaron Ball for coming on the show on Return of the Podcast. And please check out Lyle Blackburn's new book. Yeah. And the audio. Brand new. The audio book, especially if you uh, want some more of Aaron's silky, sexy voice <laughs> <laughs> telling you this amazing well, story. I don't, I don't know about silky, sexy, but I can, I can read a a person to sleep at night oh, so that's uh, you know that's a that's a good thing to to think about Asper. yeah <laughs> i'll give you a- <laughs> uh, so please check out that audiobook uh, it's amazing mm-hmm. please please we are also on whisper sync whisper sync you can switch between- thank you for listening to on the of the podcast Special guest, Aaron Ball. Thank you for having me. Have a great week, everybody. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's creepy AF, dude. Creepy AF. <laughs> <laughs>